You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, hey guys, it's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, We are in a series and we're asking the question, what does it look like to really follow Jesus? And so we've been diving into what is called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And the bottom line for the series is this. Life in the valley is focused on me, and life on the mountain is focused on we. So the idea here is anytime I'm living life in the valley, uh, I'm focused on myself and my own needs and my own uh, desires, and anytime I choose to follow Jesus and live life uh, the, the way that Christ is calling me to live, then I'm living life on the mountain, and that way my focus is now on we, my focus is on other people. And so... Today, we're going to see that Jesus is calling us to relate to people through love and respect. And he's going to teach us what that looks like practically over the next several weeks as we dive into the rest of the sermon. It's all about relationships and how we treat one another. And the title of today's message is Mad Lust. Because we're going to talk about two of the emotions and the desires that we have in our life that can wreck our life, not only wreck our life, but that can ruin our marriage and ruin relationships. So we're going to deal with anger. We're going to deal with lust today, and uh, it's going to be awesome. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. I don't know about you, but I took um, my, my family to go see the uh, new Avengers movie. And so uh, if I'm not going to give any spoiler alerts, uh, but can we all just agree if you haven't seen it by now? I mean, come on. Um, and so great movie. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me is the character, uh, uh, the Incredible Hulk, uh, because like he is, I, I think he like must have gotten saved by the Holy Spirit after the last movie. Because he's no longer this rageaholic, growling at everybody type character. He's actually like talking to people and he's cool, calm, and collected. And he's like this professor type character now. And I thought, man, if the Incredible Hulk can, can get his act together and overcome anger, surely you and I can do that. And so in verse 21, Jesus dives right into it. He says this, you have heard that it was said... To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So he's tying us back to the old covenant, the, 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 the Ten Commandments, and he's, he's, he's referring us back to those commandments, and he's going to raise the standard. He's going to raise the bar of what it means to follow him. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, powerful words uh, from the life of Jesus today. In verse 21, Jesus says, those who murder are going to stand trial. And so if, 
in, in the old covenant, if you murdered someone, you would stand trial. And that trial, if you were uh, considered guilty, then you would have to face the consequences. And the consequences is, would have been death, stoning. And so Jesus says, okay, if, if, if murder is wrong, we all get that. I'm going to take that and I'm going to raise the standards. And I'm going to say the man who has anger in his heart is also guilty because of the, the anger and the murder that is already in his heart. And so Jesus really begins to warn us here of two types of anger, if you're going to take notes. He warns us, first of all, about the anger that remains, right? The anger that is within your heart and that stays in your heart and that you don't deal with appropriately. Now, everybody gets angry. It's a normal emotion. We're all going to experience anger from, from one time or one season to the next, depending on what's happening. In fact, Jesus himself got angry many times. Uh, in John 2, he cleanses out the temple uh, in his righteous anger. And, and there's a part of life where you and I should get angry about some things in our life. I mean, when we, when we see abortion and racism and injustice, you and I should have a righteous anger towards that. But, but the key is what Paul says elsewhere in the book of Romans when, when Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. So the idea is that you and I are going to experience anger. We're going to get upset. But the key is what do we do in that moment of anger, in that moment of frustration? How do we respond? And so Jesus gives us uh, uh, several examples of what is the right way and the wrong way all throughout Scripture. And here, he's, I think, specifically saying if the sin of anger remains in your heart, then you're going to flesh that out in at least two wrong ways. The first way is what I call the volcano. And the volcano is the guy who, when he gets upset... When you say something to him that pushes his button or her buttons, she gets frustrated, he gets frustrated, and boom, she erupts, just like a volcano. And her face gets red, and she yells, her voice raises, and, and man, you, you know she's angry, and people flat out avoid you because they don't want to cross you, and they don't want to experience the wrath of the volcano, right? So there are some people in the room who, if that anger remains, boom, you turn into the volcano, then there's another person in the room. I'm going to call them the pressure cooker. I don't know if you have one of those yet, but we, we use this. And, 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 and so the idea is, if you've ever cooked with one, is that it builds up so much pressure inside the pot. That's kind of what cooks it. And you can't just like pop off the top when there's pressure in there because it'll explode. So there's this little release valve that you have to turn, and then it kind of slowly releases the pressure. Well, in the same way, the angry person who doesn't explode and they're not loud and their face isn't red, and yet they are still using their anger in kind of like a little release valve. They kind of let it out, and it turns into passive-aggressive behavior. We all know those passive-aggressive people in our life, and, and uh, they don't say they're angry, and they may not look like they're angry, but in their comments and in their behavior— it comes out. Like this is, this is a one way that we deal inappropriately with, with our anger. And so if you're around somebody who's extremely sarcastic and that sarcasm comes out and plays out over and over again, that's a form of anger. That's that pressure release valve that's coming out. Um, you, you, you hear people, you know, you're, you're somebody at work, you, maybe you're their boss and you're like, hey, I need you to do this. Well, a passive aggressive person will say, sure, no problem. Get right on that. 
and then a week passes and two weeks pass and there's nothing, <laughs> you know that person? Or they come back and say, oh yeah, I forgot. Well, that's a way that passive aggressive people deal with things that they're upset about that they don't want to deal with. And, and, and so they say things like, how's everything going? Say, everything's great when it's not great, you know? And, and, and over and over again, we get all kinds of things. It's fine, right? No, it's not fine. Passive-aggressive people get really, really sneaky with their anger, and they say one thing and they do another. They don't show they're mad. They just want to get even, and so it can be very tricky. And so whether you're the volcano or whether you're the pressure cooker or somewhere in between, Jesus is calling us to handle the anger that lives and remains inside of our heart. And he's teaching us is that if we don't deal with our anger towards our brothers and sisters, then we are just as guilty as the murderer. If your anger wants to seek revenge, refuse to reconcile, if it chooses not to forgive, Jesus is saying you are liable of his judgment. So the anger that remains. How are you dealing with that in your heart today? Here's the second thing that I think he says. He warns us, secondly, about the anger that brings insult. And in your Bibles, he uses a word here, and he act, it's actually translated in the ESV. Maybe your version of the Bible uses the word raka, but it's, it's this idea that you bring an insult to a person, you fool. The, the word raka is an Aramaic word that kind of a quasi-cuss word in Aramaic. And, and so if you're a preacher's kid and you learn that, that's one cuss word you're allowed to use. And so you take advantage of that. But, but the idea is that when you are calling someone an idiot, you are an empty-headed fool, you moron. Now, everybody in the room is guilty of this. <laughs> now, listen, when Rick Barnes, the head basketball coach at UT, when he announced that he might be going to UCLA, every single UT fan in the room said in their heart or out loud, that idiot, I can't believe that Rick Barnes, that moron, how could he leave us? And then he decided to stay and you're like, man, I like that Rick Barnes guy. He's a great guy. <laughs> right? Uh, we still haven't said that about Lane Kiffin though. <laughs> still working on that anger. But Jesus says murder in your heart is, is, is sin. This is this, this insult that we would cast. And, and so he's calling us to, to rid that from our hearts, to rid that from our vocabulary, to rid that from how we would in fact deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he raises the standard Murder is wrong. We get that. But he raises this standard and he says, if you harbor anger in your heart that remains in your heart, you're guilty. If you're exploding on people, if you're becoming passive aggressive and not dealing with it and not reconciling, he's saying that is anger in your heart and you are guilty. So whether you're explosive or implosive with your anger in your heart, Jesus says we are deserving of hell. So why do we why would we even call someone a fool? Why would we do this? The reason why we have the audacity to call somebody a moron or an idiot is, is simply because we would feel like we are better than them. We're, we're better than them, and, 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 and we you know, have this right, we have this thing over them, this arrogance over them, and, and Jesus would call us to repent of that. He would call us to, to treat people differently. He would call us to live life on the mountain. If you're going to insult people and harbor bitterness and anger in your heart, 
You're going to live life in the valley. It's going to be focused on me. It's going to be focused on self. And he would invite you to travel to the top and to live with him and to treat people with love and to treat people with respect. Now, why must we overcome this anger? Well, he gives us two reasons here in this passage, two reasons why we need to overcome this anger. And the first one is that anger in your heart hinders your worship. Look at it again in your text. He says, okay, here's the example. You go to the, the temple to worship. You bring your offering. For them, they would have brought you know, some type of grain offering or an animal sacrifice or that for us. We show up to worship, and, and you know, maybe you brought your, you know, your, your envelope, your offering. Maybe you've given online. Maybe, you, know, you show up, and man, you are ready to worship Jesus, and so you're, you're ready to give. You start giving Jesus your praise. You're singing, you know, worthy are you, Jesus. I'm running out of that grave, and oh, man, this is a great time. I'm, I'm diving in. I'm, I'm living for Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, God brings to your mind that person that hurt your feelings, and you haven't forgiven them. Or God brings to your mind somebody that you've offended. You hurt them, and you haven't dealt with that. And so Jesus says in that moment, when you are worshiping Jesus, and God brings to your mind that person, he says, I want you to lay down your offering right where you're at, and I want you to go, and I want you to reconcile with that person reconcile with them, deal with them, then come back. Why? Because if you are not dealing with the anger that is within your heart, it is hindering your worship of Jesus. It's hindering your your faith from growing. It's hindering your spiritual maturity because you're not dealing with the anger that remains, the anger that is within your heart towards that person that hurt you. And so Jesus says, in my words, get right with your brother before you can get right with God. I mean, if you are at odds with a friend, if you're at odds with somebody at work, if there is an irreconcilable issue happening in your life and you are not dealing with it, somebody hurt you, you haven't forgiven them, you're still dealing with bitterness, or maybe you hurt somebody and you're not willing to go to them and apologize, Jesus is saying you can't get right with God until you get right with that person. You see, it affects your worship. So that means that there should be an urgency to our reconciliation. There should be a speediness. In verse 25, he says, come to terms quickly. Circle that phrase in your Bible. Highlight it. Put it on a, on, on a post-it note and put it on the mirror on your, in your bathroom uh, because you need the reminder to come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly with your spouse. Don't let it linger and don't let it hang out there. Come to terms quickly with the person at work. Come to terms quickly with your parents, with your siblings, those you have hurt or those who have hurt you. Come to terms quickly. There should be an urgency to reconciliation. Why? Because it hinders our worship. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, like, that is our ultimate goal, to bring glory to God, to worship God. And so if I'm harboring bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in my heart, That rage, that anger, whether it's coming out in a passive-aggressive manner or I'm just exploding on people because I have a short fuse or somewhere in between, Jesus says there should be an urgency to reconcile. Resolve it quickly and resolve it as quickly as you and I possibly can. You might write this down. I think Jesus would say value worship over payback. Value your worship over paying that person back. 
Here's the idea, though. We, we think we're paying them back by being angry at them. <laughs> How much are they actually thinking about us? Zero. What are you doing? You're stewing over it. You're simmering over it. That pressure cooker is happening in your heart. That stress is happening in your life that just kind of builds and builds and builds. Why? Because you think you're paying them back. Well, what happens? It's really just paying you. You're carrying that burden. And Jesus would call us to be a peacemaker. Remember a couple weeks ago? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So think about it, though. Like, does this mean that we have to call every single person that we've offended today or every single person that hurt our feelings? We've got to call everybody right now, get on the same page with them before we can actually worship God. And, and I think that's an impossibility. <laughs> like, that's just not going to happen. I think the point, though, is this, that if you remember that you've wronged somebody, then you should reach out to them and reconcile the situation. It's really that easy. Like, you can't call everybody. You can't deal with every situation today. But as the Lord brings a person to your mind, you're called to seek reconciliation. Now, in saying that, here's one thing we have to remember. You aren't responsible for reconciliation to happen you are responsible to make the attempt. So you might reach out to somebody to reconcile and they don't return your call or they don't return the email or, or their response isn't you know, appropriate back to you. So what Jesus is calling you to do with your anger and, 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 the, and the pain and, and hurt and offense in your life or that the fact that you've offended somebody is to make the attempt. So you make the attempt for reconciliation, but you're not responsible to make it happen, but you are responsible to make the attempt. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Key, key verse here. So far as it depends on you. So you've made the reach out, you've made the effort, you've taken the step and if you've taken that step, then your conscience should be clear. And the, and the anger that was remaining is now released. So now your worship is connecting again. Why do we have to overcome this? Well, it hinders our worship. Here's the second thing. Refusing to reconcile will cost you more than you are willing to pay. If you refuse to reconcile with someone, if you refuse to forgive, it will always cost you more than you are willing to pay. He calls us to do it quickly. And, and the example here in verse 26 is the legal process. He says, figure it out, reconcile quickly, just like in a legal situation or process. If you don't, it's going to catch up with you. The court's going to force you to pay the maximum penalty. In other words, he says here in verse 26 that it will cost you your very last penny. It'll cost you everything. If you aren't willing to reconcile, if you refuse to reconcile, it's going to cost you time and energy because you're going to think about it constantly. You're going to be dealing with it for years down the road. It's going to cost you your health because it's going to affect you. That stress is going to build up on you. It's going to cost you God's blessing. It's not worth the grudge that you're keeping. It's impacting your marriage. It's impacting how you're parenting your kids. It's impacting how you're leading at work. Jesus would call us to reconcile. This is what it means to choose to live life on the mountain. This is what it means. Basic Christianity 101, if you want to live like Jesus, you've got to learn how to reconcile. 
and forgive when you have done the hurting or even when someone has hurt you. Ask any doctor, any psychologist, and they're going to tell you that anger has a very dangerous effect upon our bodies. There are biochemical uh, things happening in our body. When there is anger, uh, our, our, our adrenal glands will release adrenaline, uh, will release cortisone. And so all of this, all these chemicals flooding into our, our body makes our heart rate go up, makes our blood pressure go up. Uh, uh, rapid breathing happens, you know, our body temperature rises, we start to sweat, our neck gets tense, our back gets tense. It affects us physically. And so if we're not dealing with it appropriately, then it will affect your health. Have you ever heard someone say, man, he's a pain in the neck? (laughs) Well, physically, if you don't forgive someone, you may have a pain in your neck. You may have a pain in your back. And it's simply because you're carrying the stress and the weight of unforgiveness and an unwillingness to deal with the anger that remains in your heart. Jesus says it'll cost you way more than you're willing to pay. It'll take your last penny. It'll affect your worship. Don't let it. Be quick. Come to terms quickly to reconciliation. So here's the question. The question is, have you made an attempt to reconcile? This is a biggie. Have you made the attempt? And I know there are people in the room. Your armpits are sweating. There's a little sweat beads coming up on your forehead now because Jesus has put somebody in your mind that you need to go ask forgiveness for. Or there's somebody in your family or somebody maybe from five years ago and you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me, Lord? I've got to deal with this. I don't know who it is or what it is, but have you made the attempt? Have you made the attempt. You'll be amazed at how it releases so much pressure and stress in your life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's continue in the passage here today in verse 27. Jesus takes another standard and he raises the bar. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Man, I wish I could go back to the first time I read that passage because when I read it, it's just like I've read it so many times. Sometimes you're kind of a little bit numb to just the the, the power behind what Jesus is asking us to do or calling us to do here. He's saying, you've heard that that it's been said, adultery is sin. And so from the old covenant, adultery is sin, punishable by stoning, but he raises the standard And he says, if you have lustful intent in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Now, let's look at what is adultery. And adultery is any time you have sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. So I know a lot of times when we talk about adultery, all the single people kind of check out and think, oh, cool, I don't have to worry about this one. Not married. I can take a breather. But here's the reality. Anytime you have sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. Anytime 
that sexual encounter occurs and happens, you're committing adultery. And it's not only the person who is committing adultery that's guilty. Jesus is saying the person who allows lustful thoughts to settle in his heart is guilty. In verse 28, you might circle this phrase, lustful intent, because that's important here, because that really is really the culmination of what Jesus is talking about here, because there's a difference between noticing someone is beautiful and deliberately looking at something to stimulate your sexual desires. Right? There's a huge difference in glancing and noticing a woman is beautiful or noticing that some guy is handsome, if that's your thing, it's weird for me to say, but <clears throat> it's a totally different thing when you're looking for, you know, you're intentionally looking to stir up sexual desire and, and, and lustful intent in your heart. Think about King David for a minute. King David is on his porch. He's overlooking the city, and he happens to see Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, he enjoyed the first glance, and the first glance was total accident, right? You could make the argument that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been with his armies, and he should have been fighting with them, and so he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, But nevertheless, just noticing this woman was not the sin. The sin is when he took that second gaze, and he began to lustfully look and desire her, which led to physically having sex with her, and then getting her pregnant, and then the murder of Uriah, and then on down in his family, you see rape, and you see more murder, and you see devastation. It all happened because of the lustful intent that began in his heart. And what Jesus is saying is that the person who looks intentionally at something to be sexually aroused is, 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 is committing adultery in his heart. And that is a huge step up. It's not just those who would physically take that step. Now Jesus is saying those who would look and in their heart desire sex with someone or desire to arouse that sexual uh, uh, lust in their own heart is at fault. So this means the man, the woman that looks at pornography is at fault. They are looking with the intent to be sexually aroused. This is the woman who watches the TV show because of the sexual content that is there, stirs something within her, so she's drawn to that television show. I think it's important also to kind of think as we get closer to summer here, kind of a pastoral shepherd moment in this conversation that, that as the weather begins to get warmer, ladies, like, you're tempted to, to dress with less clothes. And so, so, so the idea here is, okay, looking is, 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 is uh, temp- tempting. Like, if, if, if there is, you know, a, a beautiful sight, a man might glance and see And then most definitely Satan is going to tempt him to take a second look sometimes. And so if that's the case, then then as a a woman of God, then I think it's important, especially younger ladies, because the world is is telling you to, you know, the shorter the skirt, the better. Um, The lower the top, the better. Show off your stomach, um, you know, and wear the tightest yoga pants you can and go to the gym and do squats. (laughs) That's, that's That's like what you know, the world is telling you to do. And, and so as a, a, a follower of Jesus, like you want to dress modestly, right? And, and I'm not giving rules and all this kind of stuff for what that looks like, but I think in your own heart, you know, that you would desire to dress modestly because you want to honor the Lord. But then on the other hand, you also 
uh, want to honor your brothers in Christ who, who are going to you know, potentially fall to temptation. Right? And so I think Jesus is saying looking with lustful intent is sin. And if that's what he's saying, then I think it's safe to say that dressing with hopes of lustful looking is sin as well. And so the, the look is going to be sinful, and dressing to get the look, essentially, is also sinful. So keep that in mind. When, when I was a kid, it was really hard to find pornography, but today, kids have to work really hard to, to not find it. I mean, it's everywhere. And I mean, on cell phones, TV, commercials, everywhere you look, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's, it's really all over the place, Snapchat. I mean, you, you name the social media platform, and it is there. Statistically, 30 million people a day consume pornography. And it's not just men uh, anymore. It's, it's women as well. 45% of men and 15% of women use pornography weekly. That's staggering. It's a $12 billion industry in America alone, and it's a $97 billion industry globally. Yes, it is common, but just because it's common doesn't make it right. It's everywhere. If we want to choose to live life on the mountain, if we want to choose to follow Jesus, if we want to choose to begin to live a life that honors him, that is blessed and, and happy as we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the Beatitudes, then we've got to begin to follow these basic principles, whether it's pornography, whether it's being sexually active with someone. Uh, this would include if you're living together with some, somebody. I know that's kind of a, a, a more of a popular worldly thing. Let's, let's move in together now. Jesus would call that sin. He would say, remove that lustful intent from your heart. Adultery is sin. Having sex with someone who is not your spouse is sin. And even the desire in your heart to look lustfully is sin. So he's calling us to a higher standard. He says it's a destructive sin. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you. It's going to harm your relationship with him. It's going to harm your relationship with others. And we're to do everything possible. He, in fact, gives us some drastic measures Drastic measures to, to eliminate this because he says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. I mean, this is, this is pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering stuff. Why so drastic? And he doesn't really mean cut your arm off. You can still lust and commit adultery without you know, your, your, your hand. But, but the reality is he's calling us to take extreme measures to cut it out. Now, I think one of the reasons why he tells us this is because it's just so damaging. And the statistics are out. Like the statistics are out there all over the place. You don't have to look far. You don't have to look hard to find the damaging effects of pornography in our life. Exposure to porn releases what's called dopamine into your brain. That's the, that gives you the sensation of pleasure. And so when, when that dopamine hits your brain, it begins to rewire your neurons in your brain causing a lot of side effects. So, so if this is something that you're a part of, listen to this for a minute, because there's something called arousal addiction. And as a result of looking at pornography, like that dopamine drops, it hits, and then you begin to, your body begins to crave that hit of dopamine. Just like you would crave uh, 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 you know, cocaine, or you would crave alcohol, or you would crave a cigarette, that, that, that addiction begins to happen to that pleasure feeling sensation in your body. And so another side effect to that is, is as you are continually exposing yourself to porn, it, it leads to a decrease in dopamine. 
So kind of like, oh my gosh, like I, I start because of the dopamine that's hit my ba- brain, the, the pleasure sensation happens, but then over time, it takes more and more dopamine to hit my brain for me to experience that sensation. It get, kind of begins to level off. It, it kind of begins to numb your brain, so you need more. And so what do you do? Well, longer, longer sessions, more frequently, harder porn, more sexually explicit stuff. So you dive in deeper and deeper and deeper because why? Your brain is craving more and more and more. And before you know it, you're addicted to this sensation and this feeling. As a result, you begin to think that you can only be satisfied sexually if, number one, what you've been watching is performed by your spouse. So now there's this expectation she's not doing or he's not doing what I've been watching. And so there's, you, know, you might think there's a passion problem in your marriage. No, you've become bored with natural sexuality. And so now you need harder and and more explicit things to arouse you. Um, So much so that you would rather the pleasure sensation of looking than actually being with your spouse. And that's a very scary, dark place to have the desire for pornography more so than to be sexually intimate with your own spouse. Now, that leads me to a whole nother avenue here. Like, if you're married today, having a healthy sex life is paramount. Because you look at all the temptations, you look at all of these things, and, and for a man, the only, the, the only legitimate source of sexual fulfillment is with his spouse, right? And so if a woman is unwilling or if, if because of situations they are separated physically, whatever, whatever is going on, then that's just going to draw him, it's going to draw her deeper into lustful thoughts and a dark, dark season. So, so as a married couple, it is paramount that we seek reconciliation and we come together on this because the damaging effects are huge. The warning is to... If you're experiencing this, if you're diving into this, to cut it out. (laughs) Like, cut it out, or it will cut you up. Cut it out, or it will cut you up. I think Jesus would call us to take drastic measures in order to overcome this. So here's the question today. The question is, he would call us to take drastic measures to prevent sexual sin. And the question then is this. Are you intentionally looking to satisfy lust? Are you intentionally seeking that out? To satisfy a lustful desire in your own heart. And if you would, if you would admit that that is you today, here are a few things that need to happen. First thing that needs to happen is you need to repent. You've got to turn and go in a totally opposite direction. Instead of living in the valley and focusing on me, focusing on yourself... You need to begin to climb that mountain and live life with Jesus. Begin to follow him. Begin to trust him. Begin to pursue him like never before. And as you begin to pursue him, you are walking away from the things of the world. And that is what he is calling you to do. Second thing he would call us to do is he would call us to confess. Yes, confess it to God. But if you're addicted or if you're diving into pornography on a regular basis, guy, woman, You need to confess to a wise friend, a wise pastor or counselor 
because you need to walk with somebody through this. Because here's the reality. You go home and you tell your spouse what you're doing, she may walk out. <laughs> she may, you remember that volcano we were talking about earlier? I believe that's probably going to show up. <laughs> and so, so the reality is you, you need to walk through this with wisdom and with, with urgency. And that's why you need a godly friend, pastor, counselor in your life to help you walk through this situation. Listen, secrets weigh your soul down. And you'll only be as healthy as the secrets that you keep. And if you're keeping a bunch of secrets and you've got files on your computer and hard drives that you're saving away and password protected and moving screen savers every time somebody walks into the room or you've got apps on your phone that, that look like normal you know, games or whatever, but they're really like secret apps that hide all of your pornography or pictures or images or videos or whatever it is you're trying to hide, it is exhausting. And you're only as healthy as the secrets you keep. And if you're keeping a bunch of secrets about what you're involved in, you will not be physically healthy, spiritually healthy, or emotionally healthy. Jesus would call us to take drastic, extreme measures. There might be couples in here, and you're watching pornography together. And you watch it, and then that arouses you, and then you guys do your thing. You don't think it's a problem because you're together. Jesus would call that sin as you look at something else to arouse you. That is lustful intent. You don't realize how clouded your judgment is because sin has a way of clouding your vision of who God is and, and, and what God wants you to do in your life. And if that sin is there, it has is, it is perverted your spirituality. It's perverting the way that you look at God and the way that you look at your spouse. Repent, confess, and then clean it out. Clean it out. We got to get super practical here. We got to begin to clean it out of your life. Anywhere and everywhere that it's out, we start to delete things. We, get, we remove it because we've got to clean it out and get it out of our house, get it out of our system, get it out of our devices. Here's what Proverbs 26 says Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. You, you repeat your folly. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. Now, we've got a dog named Brutus that we love, and uh, he's a golden doodle, and uh, we, you know, my son sleeps with him. He, he's a part of the family, but he's still a dog, <laughs> and he's very gross at times. Um, you know, if he's not licking himself, he's, he's eating our kids' socks, you know? I don't know if your dog likes this, but, like, he, like, finds socks, and he'll like chew him up for a while and then he eats it. And then sure enough, like a couple hours later, he has to vomit it up, right? And he doesn't do it on the hardwood or on the tile. <laughs> he has to go right to one of our nice rugs and, and throw up on it. It makes me want to cuss in Aramaic, you, you know? <laughs> and so there he, there he goes and we got to clean this up, you know? But, but what's disgusting is that, you know, even as gross as that is, like he'll walk away for a minute and get his bearing He'll turn right around, he'll go over, and he'll want to get into that disgusting vomit again. It's like, dude, come on. Like, you just licked me in the face, and now... I mean, it's the same thing with us, returning to the same sin. It's a pile of vomit. It's a pile of vomit. You might even write the word vomit on a post-it note and put it on your computer screen. So every time you lift up your laptop, you're reminded that when you are tempted sexually to look lustfully, you're reminded that you're returning to your vomit. You know, Jesus would call us to a, a practical step here. Number one, 
if you want to get right with the Lord in this, is, is, is you've got to pursue Jesus. You've got to pursue him. You've got to run after him. You've got to commit your life to him. If you've never committed your life to Christ, I mean, that is step one. You, you commit your life to him. You follow him. And as you pursue him, then you're leaving behind sin. So that's first and foremost. Practically speaking, secondly, you've got to delete your hard drives. You've got to delete the apps. You've got to delete whatever porn is on your phone, whatever's on your computer, everything. Empty it into your trash. Delete your trash. Delete your recently deleted, however many steps you've got to take to get rid of it. Just go home and do it today. Some of you need a social media diet because a lot of this is, is being fostered on social media. You just need to step away from it. Some of you need to unfriend some people today because it's some of those friends that are, are pulling in, you into inappropriate relationships. And uh, I tell people this as a, as, I mean, this is a no-brainer step for me. Like if this was an issue, like no-brainer unfriend people because all those, you know, direct messages and all this flirting that goes back and forth, just unfriend them. And people get super spiritual at that point. It's like, well, well I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to unfriend them. I'm like, are you kidding me? You want to save your marriage? You, you, want, to, you want to lose the respect of your kids? You, you want to ruin your life financially? Like, this is a no-brainer. Step away, unfriend, right? Get a flip phone. <laughs> like, 10 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. And, and so, like, we survived with flip phones then. You, you can too. Maybe that's just a, a, a step you need to take. Some of you travel a lot and you're, you're gone a lot. So the temptation is so strong. Like nobody knows who you are. You're in places nobody knows who you are all the time and all these temptations in here. You can do stuff and nobody's gonna ever know that you think about in your mind. And so you need some accountability. Maybe take somebody with you as you travel or maybe have a, a FaceTime call or you know, a, a Zoom call on your computer with your wife to, to keep you accountable in that situation every single time you're away See, this is, these are just, you know, practical steps that would lead us to a life of holiness. We cut out, take some extreme measures to make this happen. But we all have this battle, right? We know what we need to do, and we want to do the right thing, but then we have this battle that's happening internally. Paul says it in Romans 7, I love it. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He says, look, Jesus is going to give us. He is going to give you the victory. He's going to deliver you. And, and here's what I want you to hear today. The fact that you are still fighting this battle means that you haven't given up. You haven't given up, and you're not going to give up. Paul says, I'm a wretched man, because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I find myself running back to that pile of vomit. Who's going to save me? And he says, Jesus Christ is going to save you. He's going to give you hope, and, and he's going he's to show you that, look, you're still in the fight, and so you're not giving up, and we want to hold on to that. 
Don't give up. Don't give up on your wife. Don't give up on the fight. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your spiritual health. Don't give up on Jesus because he has a plan for your life. God wants to heal your wounds. He wants to heal your marriage. He wants to give you victory, and you will experience it if you pursue him today. Yeah. So as the weight of that guilt hits us, we also want to experience the grace of Jesus that he is giving you hope today. Imagine with me what your relationship would feel like. Imagine what your spouse, what your marriage would feel like. Imagine what your relationships at work would would begin to feel like and what you would experience if you began to deal with the anger that is in your heart. And instead of holding grudges, you made it a habit of reconciling, of seeking forgiveness, of saying a very simple phrase, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just admitting that today. What would your marriage look like if you actually began to finally overcome this addiction to pornography? Or or maybe you wouldn't say it's not an addiction, I just kind of go to it. What would your marriage look like if you finally just kind of stopped going to it, whatever it is? and begin to pursue holiness and a right relationship with your spouse. Say, I believe God wants to bring you healing. He wants to bring you up out of the darkness. He wants to shed light into your life today, and I want you to experience it. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Many in the room I know today who have felt the weight of maybe the the issue to forgive someone or maybe the issue of looking intentionally at things that you know are bringing hurt and pain into your life today. I wonder today if you take that step and begin to repent and confess to God. Would you just do that right now? Just begin to tell God right now whatever it is you confess, whatever it is I repent. Turn from that. Go home today and take practical steps. Overcome this. See the danger in it. Who did God bring to your mind today that you need to reconcile with? Will you take that step? Send the text, give the phone call, have the meeting. Difficult, yes, but this is what Christianity is. Are you ready to receive the blessing? Are you ready to receive the joy and the happiness that floods your soul when you do the very thing that Jesus is calling us to do? Nobody looking around today. How many of you said today was helpful for me, Trent? Just lift up your hand. I needed this today, Trent. All over. Lord, you know exactly where every single person is today. I pray that you would give them the strength and the power to take the steps they need to take. Lord, the struggle to follow you is real. There are hills, there are valleys. But Lord, as we pursue you and choose to live life with you, you bring blessing and peace and hope. And we are never, never are we regretful of taking a step to follow you. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to do so here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.